free to, to go ahead and answer this as I ask the question, what does, what does a Christian look like? Anyone? Oh, gosh. How, how, how do you make the wild? Am I supposed to make a wildcat symbol now because of that? <laughs> I'll be honest, I was not anticipating that response. <laughs> and by the way, that was exactly the wrong response, probably. But uh, what does a Christian look like? There we go. That was the answer I was, I, I figured someone would give. And then everyone else would be like, oh, I can't answer anything else because that is the answer. Because the reality is, we know this, any kind, anytime in church you ask a question, you're never wrong to say Jesus. I mean, if it looks like Jesus, you're, you're probably right there. Well, well, exactly. That, that is right. A, a Christian looks like Jesus. Now we could, we could kind of put some subcategories of that. Well, I, I thought maybe someone might say love or forgiveness or Tim or something like that. But, but yeah, obviously Jesus, when we, when we look at at a Christian, what we should be looking at is Jesus. So, pick if you'll throw up those pictures for me, real quick. I want to. Um, uh, those are my two two of my grandsons. I guess my two youngest grandsons. Uh, a picture taken at eight months and seven months. About uh, a Tuesday night, Reed and I went to Liberty uh, to babysit these little guys. Now, one of them's three now, so uh, uh, I will tell you that they're not twins. Uh, we went Tuesday night to babysit, and we were sitting there at, at at supper before Caleb and his wife left. Madonna left to go for uh, for their their home group, and uh, Rita made the comment. I wasn't really paying attention. She made the comment, said, "Caleb, you better start marking your pictures." And I wasn't really listening. I was feeding Cohen these little puff things and uh, the the baby, and I wasn't really listening. And, and but I kind of perked up and like, well, what does she mean? You need to mark the pictures. Then Caleb pulled up on his phone a picture of. And I think it was these pictures, a picture of Reed and then a picture of Cohen. And I didn't realize how much they looked alike. There, there's several things that come out of this picture. First of all, what handsome, handsome young, young guys there. Uh, second thing you might notice from that picture is like, man, they have big heads. Uh, probably say they're in the 95 to, to 98th percentile in head size. Uh, which I had a doctor tell me that's when you have a big brain, you have to have a big head to, uh, uh, to, no, I don't know if that's true. They have a big head because their daddy had a big head, so uh, that that's why. But but I was surprised when I looked at that picture. I didn't realize when when as Reed got older and we had Cohen that they looked so much alike. But when I looked at those pictures, in fact, Rita, which one is Reed? The chubby. Okay, that's the three year old, and that's the one that's I guess seven or eight months old now. So you can take that down. Uh, I started off by asking that question: What does a Christian look like? Well. If we put a picture of Jesus up there and then a picture of one of you up there, now obviously picture pictures they wouldn't look like, but but if we could show what Jesus' heart looked like and show what one of us' heart looked like, would they look the same? Would we look just the same? Today we're gonna finish we're gonna finish our thoughts on, on our theme verse for the year, our theme idea for the year, radiant. Uh earlier in in the the, the month of January, we talked actually with this one sermon, two different two different sermons on this one idea, that radiant, it's from God. And, and what we did is we looked at uh, in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, and we saw the fact that Moses uh, was was in the presence of God. God passed in front of, uh, of Moses. He was in the cleft of the rock, and, Mo- and God's hand covered him. But because he came in contact with who God was, his, 
his his glory and his goodness that Moses' face ended up shining uh, shining out. And we pointed out this simple thought that the radiance that became Moses, it, it came from God. It wasn't what Moses did and nothing to do with him. It was all about God. Then we looked at this idea that that radiant, it, it's who God is. When God passed in front of Moses, God, uh, Moses got to see him and it was impressive. But it wasn't what, it wasn't what Moses would have thought. He, he might have thought that he would have seen God's power, that it was God's power. Uh, but God is powerful. That's not what he saw. He might have thought it was going to be his might. Well, God is mighty, but that's not what he saw. He might have thought it was going to be, be the, the, the great things that God could do. Well, God certainly has the power to do those things, but that's not it was, what it was. It was God's glory and God's goodness. What Moses saw, what, what reflected to Moses was in reality God's love, his compassion, uh, his heart. So today, we're going to, we're going to take that story from Exodus 33 and 34, that, that cool story about Moses' face shining bright so much so that he had to put a veil over it. That, that cool story about that. We're going to take that story and move it into today. And we do that as we look in the book of 2 Corinthians because Paul takes that story and retells, in a sense, that story of Moses and makes the application of what it means for us and how it applies to us. So if you have your Bible, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7, down through the end of that chapter, which is verse 18. Moses finishes, or Paul finishes this thought for us and shows us how this idea of radiant, how, how this idea of radiance applies to us. We'll look today and we'll see radiant. It's, it's transforming. So follow with me. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. So he's basically saying, if the old covenant, if the old law came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Now, I know... That's, that's a little tough to read or a little tough to understand, but, but if you'll read through it later, you'll, you'll make, it'll make a little more sense. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while, while his radiance was face, fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed only because in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, uh, even to this day when Moses is read, a bell covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the bell is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, catch verse 18, probably the, the key verse here, here today. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So Paul, takes this Old Testament story and flips it around and, and applies it to us here in the two, New Testament. Let's look just quickly at two 
I have two thoughts that we can uh, can look at. Here's the first one. Uh, it transforms our thinking. Paul wants us to understand a, a concept here that radiant or radiance, his radiance changes the way we think, or at least it should change the way that we think. Now, we are a we are a new covenant people, but we often have an old covenant mindset. We we belong to the new covenant. That that's what Paul was describing there, but we oftentimes have a mindset that has us stuck in the past. So so Paul starts out this section by doing a a, a comparison. So here's here's the comparison. We're going to look at a couple things. Notice what he says in verse 7, uh, talking about the old covenant, the old way of thinking. He says, now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, did you catch what he said? If the ministry that brought death, what in the world is he talking about? Now, he points out that this, that this ministry had, had a sense of glory to it, and, and he's comparing it to, to the new, but, but it brought death. What does he mean that the Old Testament, the old covenant, the old law written on stone brought death? The, the reality, and, and this is somewhat uh, simplifying it, but the reality is that the old covenant, the, the old law, was a list of thou shall not. Now, now there were plenty of thou shalt, there were plenty of positives, but 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 kind of by and large, the old covenant law was a list of thou shalt thou shalt not. It it defined what God wanted us to do. Now let me illustrate it. Let me illustrate it this way, Sherman. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you, uh, and this is gonna be you. You have cows, right? Okay, okay. I thought you did. Whew. Uh, and, and 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 you have cows in pastures, right? How do you get your cows to stay in your pasture? You put a fence up. You mean you don't just tell the cows stay there? <laughs> their their nature, their nature. I would assume I don't have cows. I don't know, but their I have dogs, and they don't like to stay in fence. Their nature is, their, their nature is to go where they want to go. Their nature probably is even when you have a fence. Their nature is to try to prod and find a place where that fence is weak, and they can break it down, or get through, or get over, or get under, or or, or whatever. By, by nature, they want to get, get out of that. See, the reality is, in a sense, the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament law was a fence. It, it, it set the boundaries for us. And, and, and not necessarily in a bad way. If we, if we followed the law and did what God said, it, it was there to protect us. It was there to keep us out of harm's way. It was there to keep us off the highway where we might get run over or, or, or chased away. It, it had a purpose, but the Old Testament law was a, a fence around us. Here's the problem. We don't like to be fenced in. Cows don't, but we don't either. Don't we see that back in the book of Genesis? God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, you can go anywhere you want. You can eat anything you want. I have all this stuff, but just hey, just stay away from this one tree. And where'd they go? Man, we got to go to that one tree. All it took was one little temptation, and man, they're, they're, they're chomping down on, on that tree. Uh, our, our nature is to to test the boundaries. And, and so the Old Testament law defined the boundaries. And here's the problem. Once you broke a law, you were guilty. That, you were done for. You were, were guilty. That, when he says the, the ministry that brought death, that was that mindset. See, see, in the old covenant, they woke up every day and, and the pressure was on them to, to perform. The pressure was on them to not make a mistake. The pressure was on them 
to try to be good. To, and, and actually what they were hoping was they could be, they could be maybe, just maybe good enough. Uh, maybe they could do enough good things. They could obey enough. They could do enough positive things that somehow God would be pleased with them. That somehow God wouldn't condemn them for what they deserved because they had broken the law. That is what he's talking about when he says, now the ministry that brought death, that mindset, that describes that. Now, now he also says at the end of verse 7, um, he says, it, it came with glory, but so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. So even, even the glory that Moses had, because he had seen God, it, it was fading. The old covenant law was was fading. Look at verse 9. We also, Paul talks a little bit more about that. Uh, verse 9 says, if, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious. So the old covenant, the old law condemned men and it was a veil that was over them so they couldn't quite under, understand. See, see, that was the old way of thinking. We, we're new covenant people, but sometimes we have the mindset of the Old Covenant. Max Lucado describes it this way. In his book, Grace, More Than We Deserve, Greater Than We Imagine, he tells this story. Uh, he says that when he was a young boy that he was in the Boy Scouts. And, and as a Boy Scout, he began to, he began to amass merit badges. And, and he said he would take his, his sash that the merit badges were, were pinned to. He would take that and he would hang it in his closet. He said, I didn't hang it there to hide it. I hanged it, I hung it there to, to look at it, to admire it. I said, I would look at my mad, my, my, uh, my merit or my sash with all the merit badge and, and I, I would remember what I'd done. I said, I'd, I'd remember paddling across the lake to get my canoeing badge and I would remember carving a totem pole to get my woodworking badge and I, I would re- remember uh, a swimming laps to get my swimming badge, and and he said, greater than than looking at those badges and and remembering that was was getting to show it off. He said, and I did that every Thursday. Every Thursday was Boy Scout Day, and I would wear my Boy Scout uniform, and I'd put my sash on, and said I'd walk into my school, and and I he said I don't know if people really thought this or saw this, but he he said I envisioned that. This is what's going on as I walked the halls and I, my sash was full of all these merit badges. I, I get the impression that, that the, the boys longed to be me. They envied me. He said the girls would swoon when they saw my sash with the merit badges. He said, in fact, he, in fact, said the girls in my class, he, he just knew that they longed to take a finger and run it over his signaling badge, asking him if he would tap out their names in Morse code. Uh, he said, I, I love that. But he points out about the same time he was amassing those merit badges, he became a Christian. And he said, I just assumed, I just assumed that God graded with the same system. I just assumed that God graded on a merit system that dealt with spiritual merit badges. So, so he said, I resolved to earn as many spiritual merit badges as I could. When the doors of the church were open, I was there. When there was a service project, I was the first one to sign up. When they needed a volunteer to help with, with anything, the nursery, with raking a, a lady's yard, said, I was the first one there. Said, I, I was working for that glorious day. And he says it this way, when, 
when God, amid falling confetti and dancing cherubim, would drape my bad-laden sash across my, across my chest and welcome me into his kingdom where I would humbly display my badges for eternity. Lucata goes on to say, but with that mindset, in later years, one thorny question kept popping up. One question kept coming into the back of his mind. He said, if God grades on goodness, if, if we earn God's favor by being good, he said, the question kept coming up, how good do I have to be? And then he put it in the, in the Boy Scout vernacular, how many spiritual merit badges do I have to earn for God to be happy with me? And then he said this really troubling question would come to mind. What if I came up one badge short? See, see, that was, that was the old covenant. Now the law was good. Moses points that out. He says it came with glory. Uh, it was God's design. It, it was good, but, but it, its glory was fading because it was imperfect. Uh, Paul compares that then with the new covenant. He, he compares that with what we are under. The, the new covenant transforms our thinking. It, it changes our thinking. No, notice what, how, how Paul describes it. Look at verse, uh, look at verse eight. Uh, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So the, the ministry that we have is the ministry of the Spirit. Second Corinthians 3, 3 earlier in this chapter says, not by tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God doesn't give us His law written down. And then we have His scripture, of course, but, but God writes His law on our hearts. His, His Spirit is with us. Our ministry is a ministry of, of Spirit. Notice what He says there in, uh, in verse 9. Uh, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness how much of a glorious is a ministry that makes us feel right uh, have you ever felt as a christian now, now maybe it maybe it was when you were a child maybe it was when you were a new believer or maybe you're maybe you're there right now i, I would suspect that there's some of us that are have have you ever felt like you know what i just don't measure up I, I just haven't done enough. I just, you know, when God sees me, God's not happy with me. When God sees me, He doesn't see righteous. He sees something else. Have you, have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Let, let me confess something to you this morning. Let, let me talk a little bit personal here this morning. Um, I, I look at myself and I, um, I'm not a perfect dad. Now you probably knew that. You should know that because none of you are perfect dads either. There's some, there's some good dads out there, but none of us, uh, none of us are perfect. Now, I don't think I did a bad job. I, you know, I'm still a dad, but my, raising my kids period is over, but, uh, I, I think I was a pretty good dad. In fact, I think I could get three out of my four kids. And if I offered some money, I know I could get four out of my four kids to say that I was a good dad. Uh, every once in a while, my wife will say to me, uh, Tim, you were a good dad or you are a good dad. And, Quite honestly, that, I say that whenever you want, because that really encourages me. It really, it really does warm my heart. I love hearing her 
her her say that. Uh, the, the reality is, I tried to. Now, now I uh, I may have mentioned this before, but uh, my I I had a great dad. I I love my dad. My dad was a good dad, but but I I tried to do a few things different than him. I I never heard my dad say, "Tim, I love you." Uh, it's that was an era. Those of you my age and close, you probably went through the same thing. Dads didn't do it back then, but but I resolved that I was I wasn't going to make that mistake. I I told my boys every day, and I I told Crystal every day uh, that I loved them. I, I don't ever remember hearing my dad say, "Tim, I'm proud of you." Now I knew he loved me, and I knew he's proud of me, but I never heard him say those words. Uh, so I made an effort to to do that over and over again. But but can I confess this one thing? Can I be transparent and honest with you here this morning? As as good a, a dad I hope that I was there's an area in in my parenting that that I look back now and if there's one thing I could ch- well, there's a lot of things I could change but but there's one big one if I could change this is what I would change in, in fact when I when I think back on this when I remember this sometimes it literally it, it just it causes me grief it literally almost causes tears to come to my eyes as positive as I was with my kids, as much as I said I love you and I I'm proud of you, and and I and I did that over and over and over again. The one thing where I messed up, Rita could answer, Rita could tell you what it is. I was critical, particularly now. I I did it with schoolwork, and I did it. What was it, honey? Sports. Now I'm not condemning anyone else here. You know, we got to all find our way. But you know what? If there's one thing I could change. I would change how I dealt with them with sports. Now, I, I would still push them the way I did. I would still encourage them. I would still instill in them a love for sports like my dad did for me. But, but, but here's what, here's what I would do. Um, after ball games, we'd get in the car and, and I would tell my kids what they'd done right. And I would say, Brian, man, that one rebound, you blocked that, that guy that was six five, you blocked him out. And, and man, you did a great job. Joel, that fast break, the no look pass, that was a perfect pass. Caleb, man, you did, you did a wonderful job on that fast. I would tell them what they did right. Thank you. <laughs> then I'd tell them what they did wrong. Now, I hope, I hope they knew that I was trying to make them better. I, I, they did. They know that. I'd, I'd said my boys, I, I, I'd never tried with Crystal. Crystal was so bad, there was no, no worth. <laughs> you can tell her I said that too. <laughs> Plus, she wouldn't have listened anyway, so I didn't even try with Crystal, but, uh, but, <laughs> that is the truth too. Uh, but, but there's times that I, that they, they would get in the car and I would tell them all the good stuff and then on the way home I'd tell them what they could have done better. Yeah, but that one time, Brian, you should have, boy, you just turned around and didn't even find your guy to block him out. That's what I'd tell the uh, Bill Self's players too. Guys, you just turn around and let them rebound on you over and over again. Uh, now, I, I believe they knew I was trying to make them better. In fact, we kid about it. Now, now and again, it'll come up and they'll kind of laugh. Yeah, dad's lectures and I'll laugh and, but, but underneath their laughter, I think there's a, a hint of, that hurt, Dad. And at least I feel that there's, I feel it for myself, that there's a little bit of hurt there. And I, we all have to find our own way, guys. I, 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 but I fear, 
I fear that we come into the church. I fear that we we come into the presence of God. I, I fear that we approach His throne, not just here, but on a daily basis when we, we come to God. I fear that we come to God and we see Him like that critical dad. Sure, He says He loves us, but 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 I fear we think that then He says, yes, but you did that wrong. And, and you let me down over here. And you made this mistake over here. And man, if you just would have done that over there, my kingdom would have been so glorified. I, I fear that we sometimes, we, we sometimes have the attitude of, of, of my kids occasionally getting in the car with slumped shoulders, knowing that they were going to get lectured. But when we come into the church, when we come into the presence of God, his radiance should change our thinking. Notice what Paul says there. Our ministry is not one of condemnation. Our ministry is one of righteousness. The new covenant is a ministry of righteousness, of righteousness. So we are righteous because of what he's done. Because Christ took our penalty. Because Jesus suffered on the cross. Because his uh, his sinless life paid for our sins. We are right in God's eyes. Because of this ministry of righteousness, we don't live under the present, uh, the, under the pressure to be perfect or, or to be sinless. We don't have to live uh, afraid or feeling like we're guilty. We don't have to live as if we're condemned or unworthy or unholy. We don't have to feel like we don't measure up or we're not good enough or we're second rate or we haven't done enough or God's angry with it. Instead, we get to exchange that for knowing. That's what Paul says here. Knowing that we're loved, that we're saved, that we're forgiven, that we're covered by His grace, that we're cherished, that we are His beloved, righteous children. See, radiance changes our, our thinking. And it changes us to realize, verse 11 says it's lasting. Verse 18 says it's ever increasing. Our our radiance, the radiance that comes from Christ transforms us, transforms our thinking. But, but here's the big point. It also transforms, it transforms our likeness. Uh, let's look at two things it does. Read with me again verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory it transforms our likeness and we become a reflection we who with unveiled faces all reflect i want you to notice just a couple things there about that idea there's there's a word that we could easily miss there it says uh, so so notice this notice the the all it says that we all we all reflect the glory we all reflect Jesus. In, in Exodus chapter 34 verses 28 or 29 and 30, Moses had come down from the mountain and, and, and he was radiant. He was radiant. His, 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 uh, his reflection was, was there. God's radiance reflects on all of us. Are you being a reflection of Jesus? Is the gospel changing you? Because that passage, I think, is very clear. It says we all reflect Jesus. So, so, so it's talking not to just Moses, and it's talking not just about Moses. There, 
It's talking about me, and it's talking uh, about Neil, uh, and it's talking uh, about Jason, uh, and, and it's talking about Mary Ruth, and it's talking about Cindy, and it's talking about all of us. We all reflect His glory. Now, I, I want you to notice that second thing. Not, not only should you notice the all, but notice, notice the notice. In, in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses came down, it's, it says there that his face was shining with radiance and, uh, Aaron and the other elders saw him and they got scared. They, they saw his face and they were, they started to run away and Moses had to call him back. They noticed that he was different. So, so when we come in contact with Christ, when we come in contact with Jesus, people should notice that we've been in contact with him. When people see you, do they see the reflection of Jesus? Do they see His love? Do they see His forgiveness? Do they see His grace? Do they see His compassion? Do they see His heart? Do they see His kindness? Do they see His heart of service? Robert Morris was a missionary in Asia for his entire life. Some of those years he spent in the country of Laos. And when he and his wife went to a remote village of Laos, they began to do do life with that village and their their task was twofold number one was to learn the language and and once they learned the language their desire was to learn uh, learn it well enough to to translate the gospels into the the language of the people even though most of the people didn't uh, didn't know how to read and write they still wanted to translate the gospel so so they set out doing that but it took them years to learn the language and learn how to read and write in the, the that language and and then start to translate it but in, in the interim they began just to live with the people and 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 Robert Morse set up a a ministry where he just helped the local farmers and he taught them how uh, how to farm better and how to do different things and help out and and his wife set up a clinic and they began to take care of people and, and women would bring their children to him and uh, pregnant ladies would come and she would help with the birth and and so they would work all day long in the clinic and in the fields and in the evenings they would begin to to teach and tell them about Jesus and and oftentimes they were up late in the night helping out the people that had needs. When they finally got the gospel translated, they gave it to one of the leaders in the tribe there that could read. And, and, and after a, a few weeks, they, they returned and, and, and they set up in a meeting with the guy and they asked him, well, well, what did you think as you read the gospels? What did you think? And his response was something to this effect. As I, as I, as I read the gospels, as I read the gospels, it reminded me of someone. And, and so Morris asked him, Did who did it remind you of? He said, When I read the Gospels and I, I I read about Jesus and his love, and I read about Jesus and his service, and I read about Jesus and his compassion, he said to, to the missionary, It reminded me of you. We are we are called to become a reflection of a reflection of Jesus. And in church, that's all. I'll finish quickly here. Notice the, the last thing. We need to become the real thing. It's kind of interesting in Greek uh, what he says here. We who all with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. And notice what he says. And we are being transformed into his likeness. The, the Greek word there for transform is uh, metamorphe. You can figure out where... We're, what English word do we get from that? Metamorphosis. Uh, 
uh, changing. So, so the Greek word met, metamorphe is two words. It's meta, which means change, uh, and morphe, which means form. So, so we change our form. Let me, let me describe it this way. Reed and I have been married 38 years. And I have, my, my form has changed in those 38 years. When, when we got married in 1979, I weighed 155 pounds and I had hair. Neither of those statements are true now. <laughs> Not even close. But who I am, I'm still the same. <laughs> my apologies, honey. I'm, I'm still who I am. Part of my form, it would be a Greek word schema, the kind of the outside things are, have changed. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heavier. I've got facial hair now and I lack it on the head. The, things have changed about me, but who I really am intrinsically has not change that's my form that that doesn't change what paul says here is when we come in contact with jesus our form changes but the form he's talking about is literally who we are and it says it's changed in the likeness of christ so so radiance what it does it changes us literally who we are to become like jesus the, the first summer that Reed and I were married, we lived back in Illinois before we went back to Joplin to, to finish college. And I went to a pharmacy uh, to pick up a, a prescription for my mom. And as I walked in to the pharmacy, and I don't think I'd ever been in the pharmacy before. Maybe when I was a kid, I might have went in there with mom one time. But I, if I had, I hadn't been in that pharmacy for years. And, and as I walked into the pharmacy, before I could go up to the counter and say, my name is Tim Champ, or, or, or at least go up and say, hey, I need to pick up a, a prescription for Barb Champ. Before I could say anything, the, the guy behind the counter said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, are you Joe Champ's son? Like, see, I never thought I'd look like my dad. Um, now, my dad was a handsome dude. See where this is going, right? Um, <laughs> but, I, but, but he was a lot shorter than me, and at that time he, he was bald, and it, we just looked, I didn't look like him. Well, that kind of, I, I don't, I don't know if I was, uh, um, flattered or flabbergasted when this guy, the guy said, you look just like your dad. I never thought it, but the reality, the older I got, the more I literally, my, who I was began to look like my dad, and, and now I look a whole lot more like my dad did at my age than, than I ever thought I would. This verse literally says that when we know Christ, we begin to change who we are. 1 Corinthians 5.17, a little bit later in this book, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Brandon Hatmaker, in his book, A Mile Wide, says this, The gospel changes our heart's desire to live like Christ. He says, we don't take up the cause of the orphan or fight human trafficking because we're supposed to. We do these things as a result of the gospel giving us a heart for justice. We don't extend mercy to others because God said we have to forgive others. We extend mercy because we have learned to love mercy. There's a point where we stop going to church because of guilt and we actually begin to love worshiping God and learning his word and being a part of the body of Christ. People stop annoying you because you see their brokenness and identify with it, your own brokenness. You do things and have thoughts you never imagined you would have. Why? Because you're being 
transformed. Radiance is transforming. It changes, it changes the way we think. It, it changes our thinking and it changes what we look like. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that you have called us to be your sons and daughters. And Father, because of that, we have uh, a righteousness that's not ours, that, but yours. But Father, you look at us and you see in us your beloved sons and, and your beloved daughters. Father, we thank you that we can have changed thinking. Father, we pray that we can have changed likeness, that, that with each passing day, your glory becomes ever increasing as we become, begin to look just like you. In Jesus' name. We are called to, we are called to have the image of Christ. We are called to be transformed to transform into His likeness. Let, let me ask that question that I started out with. What does a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like? Well, we should look like Jesus. Would you stand as we sing?